This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021. And since it's a Wednesday, it's interview day. And we have an interview today with uh, Courtney and David Gleason. And this is going to be about building a resilient lifestyle through homesteading. Uh, both building a resilient lifestyle through the direct results of your homestead in your own life, building a homestead that can actually be a business for you, and expanding that business into other things. So no matter what part of that or all of that you like, you'll find something great in today's show. I'll have Courtney and David on in just a moment. Before I do, let's go ahead and remind you about our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one today, is J.M. Bullion. That's J.M. Bullion. You know, as big as I am on cryptocurrency, I've never stopped saying that precious metals need to be part of your retirement and your long-term wealth assurance program as well. If you're going to buy silver or gold, this is what you're going to want to do. You don't want to spend any more money on it than you have to. It doesn't even make any sense. A silver eagle is a silver eagle is a silver eagle. Unless you're in the numismatics, if you're buying silver for stacking or gold for stacking, you want to pay as little as possible for it. If you cannot pay shipping, that's even better. If you can get a discount, that's even better. If you can deal with a customer, uh, a, 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 a store that takes care of your uh, your favorite podcast, well, that's even better. And if the company's big enough to serve all your needs, but small enough that the guy that hosts your podcast can talk to the president anytime he needs to to handle any problems that could come up. Well, that's even better. Why would you go anywhere but Jam Bullion for your silver and gold when you look at it that way? Find out more at jambullion.com. For that discount, check out your MSB uh, benefits section if you're an MSB member. Next up, bulkammo.com, also with a discount for MSB members, and also a precious metal, the other precious metal, copper jacketed lead. Yeah, bulk, bulk ammo has all the calibers that you're looking for in stock, ready to ship lightning fast to your front door. Uh, ammo is somewhat back in stock right now. Not quite where it really needs to be, but it's better than it was. It doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. Get what you can while you can. Check them out today, bulkammo.com, and don't forget that discount in the MSB. With that, let's go ahead and jump on into our uh, episode today and bring our special guests on. Again, uh, Courtney and David Gleason. These guys are great. Uh, they've re recently relocated, it's been some years now, uh, to a new homestead that they're building out. They're building a business, uh, selling uh, pastured uh, poultry and pork to their customers, uh, selling eggs, selling other products. Uh, they also do coaching and have a course to help you do the same. And they are just great people. I'm really glad to have them on today. And with that, hey, David and Courtney, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks, Jack. We're so excited to be here. This yeah. is really just such an honor. We've been listening to your show for a long, long time. So um, you're like a household name in our house, actually. David listens to you after dinner and tells me what's going on at breakfast. So <laughs> it's really you, you join us for breakfast every day. It's a lot of fun. Great, guys. I, I'm really excited to have you on. It's a great topic. What I kind of want to start out with, and y'all decide who speaks when, because I'm not getting between a husband and wife. I know better than that crap. Um, what first got you guys into the idea of living a more self-sufficient life? Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't. Uh, we didn't actually expect to be homesteaders. We grew up in a rural part of New York State. Um, we had kind of uh, farms around us. Um, my mom was one of the original homeschoolers in the, in the mid-80s, back when New York State was just kind of starting to regulate and establishing the regulations. So she canned, she gardened, she sewed, um, but I never wanted to be a homesteader, actually. I wanted to grow up and leave and wear a suit and work in an office and do all the things that sound awful to me right now. Um, and then you have some sense as well. Yeah, we had a uh, similar situation, not homeschooled, public school or government school, as you like to, uh, to call it. <laughs> but uh, we, we had a goat in the backyard, a lot of rabbits, uh, all my family's farming families, upstate New York. And uh, I grew up throwing a lot of hay in the hay mounds and thought, man, I would hate to do that uh, forever. And uh, splitting wood and all that fun stuff that I now do for fun as like a hobby and uh, self-induced. So so didn't think we were ever headed that way, but it come full circle, and I guess it was in the blood or something. But uh, now we do it for fun because we enjoy it. So, 
Awesome, guys. And as, as we go on, I'm getting a little bit of feedback from the, the live folks on YouTube that your audio is a little low, so just speak a little louder, right? Okay. Um, no, no problem there. So you guys left um, suburban Charlotte to start a homestead. I, I get kind of why you got interested, but what was the driving force to actually make a move like that? Yeah, great question. Um, when we first moved out of our suburban home in Charlotte, um, we had been homesteading kind of in the suburbs for a little while. We had been, um, we had rented two community garden plots. We were growing a lot of our own food, buying a lot of food from local farmers markets and other places to can and to preserve and just kind of doing what we could in our suburban house. Um, at the same time, we were growing our family. We had two kids. We now have four. Um, so we had two babies and we were just um, really feeling like we wanted to be more financially independent, more food independent so we could uh, live mortgage free. And also we could have more, um, I guess, more sustainability and more resilience on our own food source. Um, so we couldn't really do that on two rented community garden plots. Um, at the same time, um, I guess early in our uh, journey out of college, we had um, paid down a lot of debt. We did the Dave Ramsey thing. We both put ourselves through high school um, and graduated with just a ridiculous amount of student loans. And so during the course of our debt pay down, we had expanded all the things we were interested in. Instead of um, wanting to do the office job, um, you know, we we were more interested in doing something on an entrepreneurial basis. We wanted to um, can and, and preserve and uh, learn some life skills. Um, so we did that. Um, and we just got to the point where our suburban home wasn't really meeting our needs anymore. We had more interest and more things we wanted to do than we could really do there. Um, and also we were interested in in ethical meat, locally grown meat. So I had read The Omnivore's Dilemma um, back in the early 2000s and was just really convicted about the way that industrial agriculture produces meat. And so rather than becoming vegetarians, we started supporting local farms exclusively, uh, farms that we could meet the farmer and have some transparency in how they produce their food. Um, so in all of this progression towards, you know, we're starting to, to preserve more of our own food. We want to produce more of our own food, not just vegetables. Can't do it on two community garden plots. We said, you know, if we want to have chickens or pork or anything else, we really need to do this in a different environment. And we can't realistically pay off the mortgage while we're living here. So we looked around um, and found probably the most dilapidated farmhouse we could find, um, five acres, and just jumped right in. So, yeah, food independence and financial independence, at least partial financial independence, were really the driving forces for us. I'd say in part of that, kind of along that journey, I was on a hunting trip with a buddy going up to uh, Roanoke, Virginia, and uh, he had me listen. I, I would say this is the point that Jack happened. <laughs> I listened to uh, a couple episodes in that road trip of the Survival Podcast, and uh, I don't think my earbud or my phone left the Survival Podcast for, for a while. Every yard, yeah. every, every every renovation of the yard, every DIY project, I had Jack in one ear uh, and work on projects in the other. And I think I had food forests in our suburban home. I had a backup at one point in our little three-quarter acre plot, and my neighbors were like, what the hell is that guy doing over there? And, and uh, we were planting all kinds of stuff in our little lot that just we kind of outgrew. And at that point, we realized it wasn't going to work there, right? I had food forest under food forest. and Who uh, culture bad. Yeah, who culture bad. Lots, so of, lots of different stuff there. But, yeah. uh, you know, no chickens, no animals were allowed. So, therefore, uh, plan B. Yep. Oh, that makes sense. So it was a governmental restriction, not a uh, spatial restriction on the animals. Because I'm like, three-quarters of an acre, you can you can play with yeah. some small livestock. But then the government restriction, that's that's high on the uh, – the scale of permanence. It's, it's not a mountain, but it's like right below the mountain codes and laws. Um, so when you moved, like, what is the place you're at like now, like size wise, freedom wise, and whatever you're willing to say about location wise? Yeah, we're, um, outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. So we didn't leave cities. We just moved further away from where we were, um, about half an hour farther out. So, um, we live on the house we bought has had five acres. Um, a couple of years later, we actually bought some more of the land next door. Um, but we have done a lot of what we've done on the five acres. Um, 
So we have no restrictions. Um, the county that we live in is very friendly for agricultural purposes, um, and we've had no issues there. So I would I would definitely say you know you can do a lot on three quarters of an acre, but like you said, with the with the restrictions from the HOA or the you know county, if you have that, um, that can really hinder you. So we love being able to just kind of do what we want to do here. Yeah, we're not as free as where you're at with building restrictions, but from an animal standpoint, you know, we still have to get permits to build some stuff unless it's for the farm. You know, we mm-hmm. have some leeway there on farm building since we're we've scheduled, you know, got a schedule F right as a farm. So we get some leeway there on building there, but on the house and anything to do the house, we still have to go through that government uh, fund. Yeah, and it has a lot to do with how land lays, too. People say, like, three-quarters of an acre is pretty big. Well, what is it? Is it a long, narrow triangle? Is it a well-laid-out square? Or even five acres or ten acres? I've got three, and it's it wears me out. But it's like a perfect rectangular layout, when the, and the house is where it needs to be in its perimeter fenced. If you're in a suburban location and half your land is in the front yard and it's not fenced at all, like for a lot of things folks like us want to do, it's not optimal. And then the other side of it is you can get too big. I, I remember one of the first properties I looked at, there was a 10-acre property, and it was laid out really horribly. And I was like, I don't even know if 10 acres would be enough. And the next property I looked at, we didn't buy, but it was a 10-acre property, and it was almost a perfect square. And I remember standing in the middle of this field going, holy crap. Like, wh- you know, like it's not that I'm, I'm not willing to take this on, but, like, it was basically it was an old farm that had been farmed for corn. So there wasn't a tree. So I'm standing in the middle of this dirt 10 acre square surrounded by other squares that were 40, 50, 400 acre squares and no trees. And I'm like, you get an appreciation for how big that really is, you know? So yeah, the way it lays has a lot to do with things. Yeah, mo- most all of our plannings are all within, you know, zone one, two. The bees and the cows really. Yeah, they go out farther into the the more property, you know. But most everything we're doing is on the, you know, call it really th- two to three of the five acres. A lot of wooded on, you know, the back part of our five acres that, yeah, you know, we don't venture in there a whole lot. The pigs go out there, and I'll rotate them through it for the nuts and stuff, especially right now. But, but uh, you know, the bees go out and bring the stuff to, <laughs> to our area. So. Right. Right. Yeah. The yeah. additional acres we bought is really more for a buffer and because um, we did want to have some steers. So, yeah, I think homesteading scale, you know, an acre or two of actual active stuff is it like, oh, are you out? You know, and I, I dig the buffer idea because, I mean, that's we always talk about if we get more land, like I, I want most of it wooded and I have no intention of changing that if that's the case, because it is that buffer I could have a three acre, two acre square in the middle of a thousand acres of woods in a long winding, you can't see what I'm doing road. And I'd be just as happy as I can be. Um, Y'all are though building a business out of your homestead. At what point did you start transitioning into doing that? Um, Well, when we first started our homestead here, we started with a garden and we started with six hens um, and um, we kind of got used to that uh, for a little while and, and moved here. Um, but it didn't take very long for us to decide. We'd like to be able to serve other families, too. Um, so we got some more hens, and they started producing eggs. So we started just very small. We scaled with what we had and started by selling eggs. Um, I think we, we took it seriously from the beginning. Um, it took a little while to perfect the pricing model that I was working on, but um, we wanted to make sure that the business we were building was going to be sustainable, even if it was at the beginning just, you know, four or five dozen eggs a week. So we worked on a pricing model, um, price our eggs based on that, and kind of ran with that. Um, and then we started, we decided to uh, have pigs on our homestead. So we had mangalitsas, we had American guinea hogs, and we got the guinea hogs from Craigslist. And surprise, surprise, <laughs> the the female guinea hog came pregnant, and so... Uh, she actually delivered on my birthday, which was really kind of incredible. But um, we just had all of a sudden just so much pork, just way more pork than our family could eat. So at that point, we said, OK, we're going to scale up in a big way right now and, and figure out what to do with all this pork. Um, I got my meat handler's license, which is required in North Carolina. I got set up to collect from the sales tax, um, did all the you know the legalities to have a true legal business selling food. Um, we didn't want to mess with the FDA. Um, and then, and then just kind of jumped in. And so it was, it was at the time, it was kind of the crossroads between desire and necessity. 
when the business turned into something much larger than kind of a, just a little bit of a side thing. That's really awesome, and it's it's good to see you kind of scale into things like that. Is it, what is it like offering, you know, farm product in a place where it's rural and a lot of people are doing it for themselves? Like, do you still find that there's a a decent market? Are you close maybe to something that's more of a suburban like area? How are you able to uh, to market? So we're, we're kind of on that urban rural fringe you mentioned a lot, right? So we're right outside of Charlotte and Gastonia. We're, you know, technically we could go a little farther north, get to Asheville, but you know, there's a, that's like a whole different market. We don't really mm -hmm. go up that way. Uh, but you'll really, we're a 30 minute drive from Charlotte. I would say probably the bulk of your customers are, are Charlotte customers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So not, Our neighbors down the road uh, will always say, "Hey, we'd love to get some of your eggs." You know, they're they're probably not buying. All right, <laughs> they, they got their own chickens, right? So uh, 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 we're we're focused more on the the Charlotte, more suburbia that wants uh, wants really nice product, really wants a good quality egg or meat, but isn't willing to go out and have a farm to do it. They want to support our story versus you know go pick up eggs and feed pigs every morning. I will say, though, that I don't think our success is directly related to being outside of Charlotte or, you know, another major city. I think it really has to do with that we produce high-quality food consistently, and uh, we tell our story consistently and concisely in a way that people who want the products that we have can hear and kind of recognize and say, oh, yeah, I I've been looking for that. Um, and the products that we have are special. Uh, we, we primarily feed soy-free, certified organic feed. Um, and that sets us apart more than our proximity to a city. Um, it's not overly common, although it's possible to find um, soy-free and certified organic-fed pork and pastured hens. Um, but because it is a specialized kind of a niche product, um, that has really set us up for success more than proximity to Charlotte. Because if you're looking for that, it doesn't matter where you are. That's what you're looking for. It has nothing to do with um, Charlotte specifically. Although, being outside of a major city, we do have more people who are looking for that. But you have a bigger market to pull from, right? I mean, that's that's why the bigger high schools always win more games than the little ones because they got a bigger pool of kids to, yeah. to pull from. But, yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. And, I mean, we noticed two things that, jive with what you're saying like our close neighbors we could always get we give them a half dozen duck eggs they try them they come back and buy a dozen six months later never buy another egg because that's all it takes a duck to grow up and lay an egg so what they would do is like oh ducks you know and all the property here is three to five acre property so they're like well you just let them out every day and give them water yeah that's it and feed them and so they'd find out where we bought our feed and and they they'd go get because it's a, a single family right like six ducks And your, your eggs are good for the rest, you know, till those ducks right. stop laying eggs. So we'd lose them, but it's, it's that urban rural fringe where I think, uh, you know, the two man team that brought us permaculture, David Holgram and Bill Mollison, they both had their individual genius and Holgram's idea of like retrofitting the suburbs and that, that urban rural fringe, I think is really his side of the genius there. And there's a lot of opportunity there as well for people to, either be y'all, right, or someone like me, or to move into the suburbs. And then what you can't do, you and your neighbors together, as far as gardening and all, then use that source that's in the fringe. It's not that far away. You don't have to drive, you know, three counties over or what have you and procure, you know, the protein and things like that. I think there's a, a big opportunity there, and it's where most people are. I mean, that's if you really look at it that way. Like, if you move, you can say you can do it anywhere, and to a degree you're right, but if you move into uh, the middle of, of the Bob Marshall Wilderness in Montana, you, you're not going to sell a lot of eggs or pork or anything. Right. The other thing, and I, I highly recommend people try to find a source to be able to do this, is the soy-free. Mm -hmm. It is not hard to find organic anything. Walmart sells organic. Soy-free, and I mean, I know some good producers that do not feed soy-free feed. And especially with eggs and poultry, because the way that they take the isoflavins up and into their body, there are so many people we've talked to that believed their whole life they had a food allergy that was either poultry or egg-related, and they had a food allergy or maybe a food tolerance problem 
that had nothing to do with a chicken or an egg or a duck. It was all about those soybeans and, and phytoestrogens. And it either you either blow a woman's estrogen above where it belongs or you give a dude estrogen and you can look around and see the results of that all over the place. No good. No good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we so. actually, yeah, we had trouble sourcing, finding it in our area. So we, we actually, one of our side business, side hustle, we actually started a local feed distributor. So that's part of her, right. you know, uh, business that she does is we, we needed it. We couldn't find it. So we actually, yeah, we'll buy, we'll take orders from other people like us in the area, aggregate it, and then she does a drop or they'll come and they'll pick it up, uh, the day of our delivery or the day or two after and, and we sell the soy free organic feed as a distributor as well. Right. That's awesome. We, we actually thought about doing it till we found a source and it's 90 minutes away, but we have a large enough flock that we can just run up and, you know, get three months worth at a time. Um, that was affordable because the, the brand we were using is great, but it, it became highly unavailable and very, very expensive. And, and that was one of the things we looked at is setting up that type of thing here. Um, of course, I'm a professional podcaster, not a professional farmer. So <laughs> I didn't really want to do it unless I had to. And we found a place, fortunately. Um, but yeah, finding soy free is hard because you're trying to get the protein up and it's the easiest ag product that will do it for you. But the difference is you guys know as a producer, the difference in the product is it's night and day. We actually, we actually saw a huge production increase in the eggs too. Now we weren't buying low end feed either. We were buying fairly high end feed and we just were not getting good production. And we tried out a couple different suppliers and, you know, kind of like us, what you eat matters. And, uh, you know, just switching to this feed, we got a lot of, a lot higher egg yield, uh, as well as the benefits of soy free. So is your, uh, is your feed got uh peanut meal? Is that part of the way they, they make up the difference that mine's like peanut meal and sorghum is the so. primary base. I think field peas. I, there may be some peanut in there, but I believe it's field peas. Cool. Primary. Anything to get away from the soy, man. That's just the, de- soy is the devil. Um, yeah. What was your biggest challenge in building your business with a premium product when you start out like you got no customer relationships? You guys didn't use farmer market booths or something like that. And no. so how did you manage to build a customer base? Yeah, good question. I think a lot of people would jump to um, thinking that our premium product it would be our biggest challenge. But um, really having a premium product just forced us to learn to be able to talk about our products effectively and to focus our conversations um, and realize that not everyone is is truly a customer. Um, I think our biggest challenge was actually time. You know, while we were building our homestead business and the homestead, both from the literal ground up, we were also building our family. We have four children. We homeschool. Um, David works full time. I work part time. We actually started another business at the same time um, in residential real estate. And that's what I manage. So um, we just have a lot going on. And so being able to juggle everything all the time is is then and is now our biggest challenge. Um, but, you know, from great challenges come great success. Right. So I feel like we we were able to parlay those challenges into um, making good decisions about our time and where we were going to focus our time and how we were going to reach our customers effectively and what our business model was going to look like. And so we spent a lot of time really developing a, a targeted plan of um, the best ways to reach our customers without a farmer's market booth. And as you know, I mean, a farmer's market booth is wonderful um, if you have enough, A, product, um, B, consistency, and three, staffing. And we, you know, being homesteaders, we just didn't have, we don't have that much. So if I took my five dozen eggs a week to the farmer's market booth, I'd be really just wasting my time. I'm better off finding another way of distributing my products to find loyal, consistent customers. So that's what we developed. So um, I think that that challenge of time has really been the impetus for our success in the way that we run our business now. Yeah, that's that's understandable. We we learned a lot of stuff like that when we were doing a, a larger commercial operation with duck eggs that, you know, one restaurant take maybe 24 dozen eggs a month. You got two of those. That's kind of like, you know, people call and we're like, well, let me see if I can get you a couple dozen in the next week. Uh, Then when it hurts, when you lose one though, but our best customers ended up being the heavy, the heavy retail, the person that they use a dozen a week 
and they'll come once a month and they'll buy four dozen. Because if you lose them, it's not that big a deal. You can just get another one, you know. You lose, you, you gear up for a restaurant that's taking 20 or more dozen a, a month and you lose that. That hurts. That hurts bad. We got some people and they keep longer than people think. And once they learn that, you know, they might use six dozen over two months and they'll come once every two months and buy six dozen. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a reasonable size transaction. And if they have to drive pretty far and some of them, it's amazing how far some people will drive. We talked about the fringe thing, but you know, we got people that will drive 45 minutes to an hour for duck eggs. And I think that says something about a premium product that gives people what they're looking for and they can't find it somewhere else. And I do think you develop those relationships where that customer's like, well, I don't want you to go away. Right. So if somebody starts doing it next door, you know, I, I, Bill, I don't know. You got five ducks. Maybe it's not going to work out or five chickens. You know, like I need to know because people end up like that are concerned about their nutrition, the health of their family. They build this into their life and they want to know that they can rely on that supply. And I think that's a big part of success too. It's not just having product, but like you said earlier, consistently having product. I think that's a key, Jack. I think that makes a big difference when you treat it like a business and you, you represent yourself in a very professional way. People recognize, okay, I can I can rely on this person to come back and give me more eggs when I need it, whatever it is I need. And they want to support that versus somebody who's just doing it, you know, in their spare time if they have any and they'll stop when they want to. That's, that's kind of harder to support just because, you know, at some point it has to work for everybody, right? It has to work for the person buying it and it has to work for you. So, so are you guys trying to get to where you do this 100% uh, as far as income from your homestead? Um you know, David has a job. Seems like a pretty decent one. Thanks for the box of goodies. Really appreciate that. Uh, I was like, do these guys own Diablo? What, what's going on here? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, what's going on? I got drill bits and saw blades and this is awesome. Um, so it seems like a pretty decent job to have. Pretty handy place to have to work. Um, are you trying to go full time or maybe be able to pay the bills with it so that you take the income, the other income and just stock it so you have early retirement? I mean, what's the overall goal here? You know, I think our goals have really changed since when we first started. When we first started our homestead, we just really wanted food independence and financial security, meaning we didn't have any debt. Um, and then we started deciding, you know, we want more kids. They've got a lot of needs, braces, et cetera. Um, you know, they hurt <laughs> themselves all the time. We have doctor's bills. Um, and we can't continue to grow our food independence um, if we only live on the income from the homestead could provide our homestead. The other thought is, you know, we are very committed to soy free and certified organic as well. And so if we were to expand our homestead size enough to um, replace an income stream, then we might have to make some different choices about the way we run our business and the way we run our homestead. We're just not interested in doing that. We don't want to chase a sale. Sorry, you want to say something? Mm-hmm. Um so we don't want to chase that customer. We want uh, to build our business sustainably and uh, in a resilient way over time. So what our goal is now is to continue building our homestead's capacity um, with our our job, his job and our business, and also develop other income streams such as the, the business that I manage and any other income streams that we continue to develop because we think that our future will be best uh, lived with multiple income streams and multiple kind of, you know, pots of, of money. And like you said, Jack, I think you say, I don't hate money. I mean, we don't. We want to make sure that our, our life is, um, well lived and in a sustainable way. And for some people, that might mean that they want to be full time on the homestead. And, um, I think someday we may be, but right now our goal is to grow and to do more and be more so that we can support more people with our homestead, support our family in a larger way and, um, just kind of our dreams in a, in a bit better fashion. Yeah, and also, you know, like you talk a lot about automation and minimizing day-to-day work, you know, work on the homestead. I do a lot with headlamps, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, a lot, you know, working full-time and traveling. I mean, I like my job a lot. I have a lot of fun. You know, I get, you know, cut stuff up and and sell some cool blades for a living, right? So it's it's a pretty fun job. But on the nights and weekends, I'm out there, you know, chasing pigs and cows around and trying to always figure out a way to optimize it so that, you know, you know, much like you talk about in the garden, every time I do something, how can I take some of the efficiencies out of this? And it drives her nuts some because even, you know, just like along with the, the normal managing a day of being married, you throw some permaculture stuff in there and I'm trying to 
talk busy. talk about efficiencies in there and how we could do something better, which uh, you know sometimes is more received uh, uh, better than others. But in it's the hard garden, to be efficient with kids. Yeah, and in the farm, you know, is, is how can we always think some time out of it, design some time out of it, so that we can continue to have my full time job as well as steadily and very strategically grow the stuff we had. We added turkeys last year. And, you know, that was a very passive, we already had the chickens, you know, and our, we have so many chickens, our chickens have chickens. That's when we know we're you know, like, uh, we got a lot of chickens, but we, we added in some turkeys that are a short time uh, spurt during this time of year. And, and then, you know, when Thanksgiving comes, we'll sell all those turkeys off and make some you know money back on all that feed and, and have some really happy customers. We're really opening up the basket a little more to the people she's selling her current products to mm-hmm. uh, and making that bigger versus trying to get more restaurants or people were selling more eggs. We're, we're, we're baking the basket a little bit better with her oil customers with turkeys now. Right. Yeah. That's a great strategy. Sell more to the same people rather than, than sell to more people, the same thing. That, that's, that's business one-on-one. What is it about your products that you feel makes your customers keep coming back to you? Cause repeat business is important if you're going to do that. Um, I mean, we already talked about the selling value of the non-soy feed. Are there other things, other things that you're able to do to kind of get your customer more married to your product? Yeah, I mean, definitely the soy-free certified organic is sort of the, the kind of the flagship thing that people are looking for when they're looking for products like ours. But that's not just it. I mean, a lot of our customers want to buy from a small farm. They Not everyone, but some people want something that's local to them. Um, if they don't want soy free, they definitely want organic in our case. Um, they like the way that we raise our animals. We are whole animal ethical meat producers, which means that our animals, um, get plenty of fresh water. They get great food. They get lots and lots of room to roam and live their life according to their nature. They have a humane death and then we honor their body by not wasting anything and using as much of it as we are able to. Um, in fact, that, um, that is one of the things that we do with our soaps. Um, we have our first non-food product was born out of that desire to be a whole animal ethical meat producer. Um, we pay for the waste products of fat to come back to us from the butcher. We render it into lard. And then I found a um, local goat uh, farmer. Um, with, she has six kids. She's pretty amazing. Um, and she turns our lard into these amazing soaps. Um, and so that kind of stands will reach across the country because they're non-perishable and they're really cool. So um, I think, you know, first of all, our product hits the needs of our customers. They want something that is like what we are offering. Um, we have a, a cool story that we, you know, we're living it. This is our real life. We're not just doing this for Instagram. We, we actually chose this path for ourselves and we're inviting other people to kind of live that with us by buying our products and supporting our business. Um, and then another uh, uh, peg on that stool I think is really important is that we have spent a lot of time deciding how to make our products available to customers in a way that's convenient for them and convenient for us. And that, uh, as I mentioned, we don't do a farmer's market booth. We have a, a lot of different, uh, several different um, like flagship ways of getting our products to our customers that's convenient for them and that um, they can count on. It's very consistent and they can tell their friends about. So I think they keep coming back because we have a great product they like our story, but I think also just the convenience of getting from us in a place that's convenient to them um, makes it kind of a win-win, a win-win-win, actually. Cool. And just so you all know, we are still getting some stuff from the uh, audience that your guys are a little soft on your audio, specifically compared to me. So just okay. pretend your kids haven't listened twice. <laughs> and, and and bring up you can you can gain this even if that doesn't want to gain for you, um, yeah. and I'll, I'll be able to fix it. The audio podcast won't be a problem. I have a program that does that. Um, right. What are your future goals for your homestead and and your business? And you kind of like you mentioned one of my favorite concepts on the planet: multiple streams of income. So you break that up however you want. But what are what is your like your growth plan, your longevity plan, that type of thing? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, our homestead business is really an extension of our life. So every year we we choose a new project for the homestead. We learn about it, we plan, we implement, and we expand it. So we have kind of a, a way of implementing new projects on the homestead that we can ensure will help us be able to accomplish our goals and be sustainable. Um, I think this next year we're thinking about doing a greenhouse, um, some kind of hydroponics or aquaponics. Yeah, I've been pitching your hydroponics <laughs> for a while. i got to keep on working on my sales pitch. 
niche. You know, got a lot to learn there, but <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't quite sold around the hydroponics yet. But that 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 would be probably you know the aquaponics, hydroponics, yeah. some type of uh, growing system next as a a way to expand uh, mm-hmm. there. So and I want a root cellar. He had a tractor, so it seems like you know a root cellar is kind of the next thing. So you know we have a lot of personal goals on our homestead, and so. Um, our next homestead business venture will probably come from that in some fashion. We haven't quite nailed that down, what that will look like. but um, And that's just on the homestead production side. We also have a course that we've built, Homesteader University, and that is really the uh, results of our labor, really. It's, it's our, turning our success into kind of a, a template, a model that someone else can follow and go from to build their own sustainable, resilient business from scratch without a farmer's market boost. So we really want to expand that. We want to make that available to more people and develop and grow and, and just help more people um, just live their dream and do it in a sustainable, resilient way without wasting any time. So that's our goals for the next couple of years. And then, you know, we also want to keep doing what we're doing on kind of our other streams of income, keep keep getting more real estate properties, keep working, keep doing all this stuff and just do more and be more. So yeah, big goals. That's very cool. And I dig when you say without a farmer's market stand, because if it, I don't want to make anybody unhappy or miserable or angry with me or whatever. And if it works for you doing that, then great. Um, you said, you know, they're great. I don't know. They're great. Um, and maybe I'm jaded from all the years in technology and doing trade shows, but the number, sheer number of people that want to talk to you but not buy from you at anything like that. And you talked about having enough product. And what I find, this is true in any retail situation, half the damn product is there so somebody can look at it and feel like they're choosing something when they're only going to buy the other half of the product anyway. Mm-hmm. So you'd almost be like you could put up a bunch of wax fruit or some stuff that no one's going to buy. And then they would feel like they're looking at stuff. And then because th- that's what you'll find is like you're going to get 80 percent of your money from 20 percent of your product if you go broad product. And I, I personally think it's why so many, you know, these young farmers are going to move out and become become a farm. First, they don't know how to farm. Second, they don't know how to run a business. That's two problems in itself. But right. the killer mistake is they're going to have this farm, you know, that produces 80 different vegetables. That's a real quick way to go broke, in my opinion. And they'll look at something like Jean-Martin 48, and it's like, well, Jean-Martin 48 knows how to run a farm, and he knows how to run a business, and he's refined it down, and he's built a huge book of business that is restaurants and stuff. So that's a lot of variety in a product like he's he's doing, but it's sold, right? When, when they're putting carrots in the ground that they're going to pull out 80 days later, they're already sold. And if you're going to go that kind of model, that's where you have to be. Um, it's a lot, as you guys know, it's a lot easier to make money on pigs than it is on tomatoes. Because anybody can just start growing tomatoes, right? Like, so that includes your customer, but that also includes your competitor. Pigs take a little more work, you know, and it's a premium product. And I think that we're getting into a point where meat itself is becoming a little more scarce. Even the mass-produced crap is with short supply shortages and all. And people are starting to realize the value of that local production. So you can make more money doing that. Now, on the hydro stuff, if you do it, my advice is salad greens, fast, quick turnover, and it sells per pound for, for more money uh, than, than the meat does, like when you look at it that way. And then if you didn't have any customers, I wouldn't necessarily say to look at that. But since you have customers. Well, we also right. have pigs. So any right. Extra- yeah. Any extra goes to the pigs and if you cut it, you cut it and it grows back. Right. right. Like, so like I had to shut off our system because we don't sell and our little system made with three pipes in the front of our greenhouse. I, I, the, I, I was feeding everything to the ducks. You know, we're, we're heavily carnivore here. So, but, but mm-hmm. even if we had been eating a salad a day, I would have still been feeding 80% of it to the ducks. It's incredibly productive. Um, what advice do you have for someone that wants to build a lifestyle of resiliency and, you know, add in like how to earn income from their own homestead? It seems like everybody wants to do this. Some people do it very well. Some people do it okay. And a lot of people fail and, and yeah. I, they fail in two ways. They, some of them make a de- decent homestead to provide for themselves, but they fail to make any money. And then some of them might figure out a way to make money, but it's really not homesteading activity. Some guy might buy a sawmill or something. He can make plenty of money doing that, but 
can't grow anything either. And maybe there's something to that, like find what you're good at. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, really my advice would be know what you want, know your mission and your vision and stay true to your mission and vision. I also think people give up too early before they have done all the activities that they need to do in order to make their um, business successful and sustainable. Talking about it consistently in a, con- in a clear and concise way, concise way, telling your story so people can recognize the value that you provide, doing it over and over again. Um, you can't just expect to have a sustainable business without setting yourself up for success by knowing what your costs and your prices are and should be and making sure that you have a plan for you know, what you're doing. So um, we usually say start small, scale, get that satisfied and settled and then keep building and do more. Um, So, yeah, that's that's my advice is have a plan for success and stick to it. A lot of people want to start with the homestead you have or even Mm -hmm. what we have. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a little small. It's like they want a turnkey homestead. It's like you get a package, you pull up at tractor supply with your chickens, your ducks, your pigs, and your three cows, right? And all of a sudden, next week, your homesteaders, you know. Yeah, big old truck backs in with with a with a 40-foot Connex on it. Beep, beep. And a crane comes and goes, and it goes, and then it just rolls. Out. I'd, I'd buy one, I know, but I don't think. Start selling that on, add that to our, I know, our we're gonna site. Have next, that's uh, our next project. Yeah, turnkey, yeah. turnkey homestead. And we'll take it back in 90 days. If, if you don't want it 90 days, I'll buy it back. I got a name, but I'm going to trademark it. You're going to have to pay me a 10% licensing fee. It's going to be called Instastead. Love it. Hey, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's a 90-day half back, and I buy it back and uh, sell it to someone else. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I think that's, you know, we started with chickens. It's frustrating. And when you coach people that are trying it and you're like, hey, get good at this and, and everybody human nature is like you want to do this and this and you know like I did it. Yeah. You know, we've all done it, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty and you're trying to coach people that are new on it that are super frustrated and they're having all these issues with their you know, their plantings or their animals and they, they're there are trying nine thousand things. Yeah. And so if, much. if they're like us where I you know I'm working full time and you're getting frustrated and I got sheep running all over the place. I try to add sheep in the middle of some of this and it's like because uh, they're easier than goats well you know we got rid of the sheep <laughs> well <laughs> so. i mean to, just to digress the sheep were getting out and crossing the road and it was starting to be yeah. a real liability but but i think that's an example of you know if you don't have if you don't have everything in place just right even if you have a great idea and it's a great product and it's a great thing um you you really can get in some big trouble either just too much work too much liability or, or too much money out the door so um definitely start Scale your business. Do do what you can do, and and then grow from there. That's I think that's what you're. Sorry to take over. Yeah, no, no, that, yeah, and I agree. And you know, she, you know, Courtney talks about a lot with her customers, and then some in her course where they'll go out there and they'll have some really nice eggs. They've got a bunch of chickens, and they're selling them at two, three dollars to their friends, and they're like, I'm not making any money on this, and they're super frustrated, and you know, they try to buy feed from us, soy free, you know, you get really nice feed and they're just not doing the Excel on it. They're not running the math that shows I need to sell them for eight, $9 a dozen in order to make any money. And if that's what you need to sell them at, then that's what you need to sell them at. And if people don't want don't want the eggs at $9 a dozen, it doesn't matter because that's what you need to sell them at. And otherwise it doesn't, the Excel doesn't work. And you know, you either need to work on your story or your your model, and uh, and I think we've done a, a pretty good job of pulling that all together. And I think, you know, some people undervalue their time, undervalue their stuff, and and people are like, are you making money at the homesteading the first few years? I'm like, I wouldn't say I'm making money. We're getting money. We're not making money, but we we are subsidizing our food costs. We're eating really healthy food uh and we're helping a lot of other families and now that's progressed some where you know i wouldn't say we're we're getting uh rich off farming or anything but we're having about the fact we don't buy meat from anything we haven't bought meat in years and uh, we grow all of our own and we can expand our farm and that's really and that's ultimately that's our goal in our in our personal homestead is just to continue to grow and expand through the income stream from the homestead we want it to be a sustainable kind of entity of its own. And so that's that's really what our goal is there. And back to your question about do we want to live from it? Well, if we did that, we couldn't build anymore. So, you know, knowing that that's our goal and then um, wanting to build it. So we we have our end in mind and we 
we price accordingly, we know our value, we know our story, um, and then we just we just keep going from there. Yeah, and I think you know the marathon, not a race concept is really important here. You're building equity in something. You're building, you know, it's like you, you talk about the Insta stead or whatever. Like you also, if like you were building your own house, if you're a reasonable person, you wouldn't think you're just going to show up on a weekend and throw up a three-bedroom house. It takes time. And if you add on to it or if you buy a house, like when we bought this house, it was it, people were like, man, you got a good deal on it. Like, you don't – we did, but it was also like you don't know what kind of a turd it was. I mean, there was – Literally stuff in, it was built in the seventies, but we had stuff in here that like, it looked like they repurposed it from a house from the sixties. <laughs> and you know, and we're, we bought it in 2013 and we're like, I didn't even know they made that color in parquet flooring. Like what, 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 you know, and like, so the color of this rug, was it like vomit orange, right? Like, and that took time and we didn't make a profit by changing that initially. But when you look at, well, what's the home worth today? What's the value of the home? We live in a home today that I don't think we could have afforded to buy, you know, and, and, and without making it that way. And you should look at the, the entirety of your homestead that way. Um, the other thing is like being creative. Like we, we came in on a niche. I just didn't want to capitalize on it, but we had about 80 chickens at one time. We were selling chicken eggs and we always struggled to sell chicken eggs sufficiently because there's such a supply here. I mean, it's, right. it's ridiculous. I mean, you, in the morning you walk out and like one of my roosters blows up and then you hear like, like all the way down and back around and over here. And the guy's got fighting roosters back here or something wow. like, you know, they're all over the place. So we went to ducks. Well, that was a niche, but the other niche we found is like, there's this huge demand for people to have their own chickens to, to lay eggs and not everybody is actually capable of going to the store and buying a little puff ball and getting it up to speed and not killing it. So we're like, well, I'm not going to give these things away. I'm going to sell them. So I'm like, screw it. I put laying hens, you know, 20 months old, actively laying now, 25 bucks a piece. We sold almost every bird we had at that. And then I had some that were just coming up that were like 16 weeks. So they're like two months from laying, but they're feathered out and all. I sold all of them between 15 and 25 bucks. Well, that's what you end up selling a, 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 you know, a Cornish cross roaster for, you know, a smaller one. And I'm like, there's no harder. It's a couple more weeks, but it's no harder to do and it's easier to sell and I don't have to process it. And if nobody wants it this week, I only feed it for another week. And then, you know, now that we got the cost on the feed much more in line than we did back then, I could make money doing that. I don't want to, but I could. And like, that's another way to be creative. And I, if I was going to do that, I got a shop. So I'd be out there using my new shiny red, uh, drill bits and, and, and saw blades that, that y'all sent me. And I'd be out there and I'd be selling, you get four chickens with a, uh, you know, a chicken tractor and a fencing and electric charger, whatever. Like you build your own kit. Like don't think that you have to sell product in the way that we think of like, there's only so much room for so many people to sell eggs, right? I think pastured pork and pastured poultry, I think there might be a point of that. We're so far from that right now. It's so hard to find you know, locally that, like, everybody can do that for a while. But there is a limit. There is a market limit in an area. And so if you start thinking about, like, and, like, the other thing I've seen people do is, like, my buddy John Dowie that runs basically a microgreens farm. Well, he's providing the restaurants, he sells microgreens and the, the retail customers, he's providing quail eggs and duck eggs. Well, he's self-growing those. So he just like y'all did added it in. But like, he's like, yeah, I'm selling maple syrup. I'm like, oh. you're running around in the spring tapping. He's like, no. So we were making a big joke. He started giving names to all his characters he works with. And we call this guy Sticky Fingers. Sticky Fingers makes the syrup, right? So like he started finding other producers that were good at making stuff, good at supply side, but no good at marketing and going, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just tell all of my restaurants and all my retail customers that I have maple syrup now. And then the guy's like, well, I can make this whipped maple syrup, which is like diabetes in a jar. Right. And like, <laughs> but then, so then he's doing honey, he's doing maple, he's doing all these other things that are just peripheral add ons. And that lets that producer just say, okay, I guess I make maple syrup now. And you know, most maple syrup makers in a place like that, they're not, they're not making a living on it. It's extra money. 
But now that's all that person has to do. So like the more creativity that you can come up with in this and build value into what you have, and you can become that hub. And that's, that's something without doing what y'all did or like what he did, you're not going to do. You have to have the customer base, right? To, to, to do that as a plugin. I think you can also, there's people that probably can create a co-op straight out of the gate, never grow nothing. But like the ease of being able to say, well, I have a, book a business of 70 regular customers, uh, yeah, I can sell your maple syrup. That's a pretty easy sale. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. yeah. And you don't have to make a big margin because it's an add-on, right? Like, you know. Right. Simple. Love, love the idea of building a local food shed with other people. I think, you know, the more local producers we have in our area, whatever that is, the better. We, we really need more producers of any size. Um, and so, yes, love, love that idea, Jack. So let's uh, let's get wrapped up and let's tell people a little bit more about your online course. Again, it's called Homesteader University. Yep. What is it? What do you cover in it? How long is it? What does it cost? How do people get it? You're going to give my people a discount or anything like that? What's what's going on there? Yeah, um, Homesteader University was, as I said, was born out of just our success and wanting to be able to help other people have the same success without um, having to spend a lot of time or, or spin the wheels doing it. So um, I'm just, I'm looking at my notes here. We we teach you how to live out your mission and vision while earning an income. We help you to identify your best next or if you're just getting started, your best first product for your homestead. We help you talk about your product in your homestead in a clear, um, consistent way that communicates value and helps you make a sale without feeling very salesy. Um, I, I don't love uh, the whole sales pitch thing. I like to, for people to self-identify. And, and so having that happen is key. Um, we help you to understand what your product costs are and how to price your products appropriately based on your product's features, benefits, costs. Um, and we also help you to develop a plan to consistently and conveniently serve your customers without a farmer's market booth. Um, so this is a self-study course. We do actually offer a premium option, which has um, live group coaching calls, up to six group coaching calls. Um, so there's two sort of options for um, for people who want, you know, just to do it on their own or they want a little bit more guidance, get some personalized answers to their questions. That's obviously a better value. Uh, we have lectures, a detailed workbook. We have case studies and screencasts. I have Excel templates um, and instructions, video instructions on how to use those. I have some handouts you can give your customers. Um, I have um, resources for you to be able to use and do uh, save for your research. I've got um, pastured pork and homestead beef pricing calculators. Uh, let's see, I've got a lot of stuff in here. So um, lots and lots of resources for people who use the course. And then once you've graduated, then uh, we're starting a searchable map function that will help kind of get um, your name out to people who are looking for your product. So customers will be able to go onto our um, uh, website and search for homes, you know, homesters, farms, whatever near me. And your your profile will come up with your picture and links to your farm if you have those and what your products are. And so just really help kind of people connect with you and for you to have for especially if you don't have a social media, it'll help you have a home base online. People can go and have some social proof. So that's um, being built right now. Um, but that is that is what we're going to offer. So, um, and that's all at homesteaduniversity.com. You can learn more about the course. You can um, see exactly what's in the modules and see, uh, learn about the pricing. And yes, Jack, of course, we are going to offer your listeners discounts. We love what you do. We we really feel like we wouldn't be doing what we do today if we hadn't had all the learning opportunities from y'all. So, thank you for that. Thanks for being a jerk. <laughs> I did not say that. Um, so for TSP listeners, for the first 50 people who sign up for our premium course, we're going to give them the uh, self-study option plus the coaching for the price of the self-study option. So um, the value of the coaching is $150. That's six live group coaching calls. And um, you'll get that uh, for the price of the basic course, which is just self-study. So that's $379. Um, so I have a code for that, and that is intro50, if you want to put that in the show notes. Um, intro50 is the code that will get you the premium course for the price of the basic course. So just register for that. And, of course, we have a cryptocurrency discount. That's intro50, right? Not spelled out? Thank you, yes. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. 
Um, and so uh, we also have a cryptocurrency discount. So on top of uh, that discount, you can also have an additional 10% off, and that's ongoing. Uh, so just email me for that. Uh, we don't have a way to do that online, so we just start with me. Email at Courtney at modernlivinghomesteader.com, and we'll get you set up with that. And uh, for those listening to the live stream, I threw the uh, discount in there. We'll get the website thrown in there here in just a second in the comment stream for YouTube anyway. Um, it's humbleacresnc.com. Maybe one of the folks there in the chat could do that for me so I don't forget what I'm doing while doing this. But, it's again, it's humbleacresnc.com. Somebody wants to drop that in the chat, I'd appreciate it. And I'll make sure that all of this stuff – uh, your social media stuff, your website, discount code, everything like that is in the show notes for the podcast episode, uh, which will be up not long after this live stream ends. And, uh, guys, I appreciate you being with us today. It's a fantastic discussion. Yeah, by the way, Jack's a jerk is an inside joke with Jack's uh, inner circle of uh, group. She didn't know. He has uh, motivated us enough that you go out and take path, of course, uh, to, to become self-sufficient or to move out of the city and move to freedom. So everybody uh, that thanks him for being a jerk to put him on the right path. So you said we wouldn't be on this path without him. So I'd say thanks for being a jerk oh, yeah. and pushing us out of our yeah. yeah, Yeah. For those that don't know, the way that started was, I mean, years and years ago, like we're talking like 08, 09, when I was doing the show from my car, I would say things like, I'm never going to tell you to pay off all your debt. And one day you're going to pay off all your debt and call me up and be like, Jack, you stupid jerk. I've got all this extra money. I don't know what to do with it. It's all your fault. And I, you know, I'd like, or you pay off your student loan debt or, you know, you get yourself ready and then a hurricane comes and you have food. You're going to be like, you jerk. It's your fault that I had food when everybody else didn't. And then along the way, I'd say it was around 2014, people started calling my call in line and like calling me a jerk and then say, because of you, because of like you. we had a generator or whatever. And then like, you know, it just became a thing. And uh, we actually did. I think it was 25 episode 2500. It was just people calling in and telling me why I'm a jerk. And it was like three and a half hours. And they all got like two minutes call. And it was like three and a half hours of being told. It was one of the best days of my life to listen to that many people call me a jerk. So it's okay that he did it. It's, it's allowed. Well, he, he not pass that information on to me. I listen through him. He listens religiously to every episode and I get the cliffs notes. So I apologize for not knowing that, but um, now I do, and I will. I'll leave you some nasty. The vicarious podcast, right? <laughs> guys, guys, again, I appreciate you being with us today. Uh, thanks for hanging out, and like I said, I'll make sure all your uh, resources are in the show notes. Awesome, thank you, Jack. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you. And thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. Well, that was a good conversation. I, I want to say something uh, to the audience here for a minute. Uh, yesterday, I mentioned I might need somebody to. Uh, to, to go to Minersville, Pennsylvania and do something for me. I didn't really say what. It has to do with my family. I don't really want to talk about it on the air. Um, Nicole Sauce was able to link it with somebody through the Zello group, and, and they did that for me this morning, and I appreciate it. But the sheer number of y'all that reached out and said, I can do it, I mean, we're not about, I've been talking exactly about a, uh, a high-density metropolis area. We're talking about a pretty... Uh, lightly populated area to know that we have that much reach and that many people would be willing to go out of their way to help somebody out just because they listen to them on a podcast. Um, to all of you that offered, thank you. It's, it's been handled for now anyway, and uh, it means a lot to me. This has been a, a tough few days on, on a few different things. I also want to say um, my, uh, my Achilles tendon injury that happened on Saturday evening, which again was due to the uh, highly dangerous act of walking, has made a turn for the better really, really fast. I was really, part of the stress level I was under, I really felt um, that I was going to have to have uh, surgery because of just the way that it happened, the sound that it made, all of that. And, uh, you know, I said this yesterday, but I, I want to say it again. Like, I'm good. Uh, it still hurts a little bit, but this is, like, if it was like it is right now when it happened, it would have been a blip on the, it would have been like, dang it. I mean, that's all it would have been. And uh, I really credit heavily Dr. Christopher's comfrey ointment for speeding that recovery along. And that is our item of the day today. Um, 
I just feel like this stuff's done so much for me over the years and helped so many people that that was kind of a reminder. I hadn't brought it around in quite a few months. Um, remember, you can always support this show by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Uh, the product is, again, called Dr. Christopher's Complete Tissue and Bone Ointment. It comes in a, about a four-ounce tub. And I started slathering uh, that area of, of my uh, my ankle with it the you know the night that it happened, and it's night and day in just a few days. What what it's, what it's been able to do. I also picked up a really cool brace. I need to uh, need to put that in the item of the day catalog. It's just a real simple. It's like twelve bucks and it wraps around your ankle. And uh, man, I, I I am gonna say that it's probably a good idea. When we'll do a show soon, where we uh, talk about things you don't think of in your medical preparedness side of things. Because everybody thinks of the bandages, the tourniquets, compression, uh, the drugs, antiseptics, and things like that. But, you know, the fact that we had crutches on hand, because I was on crutches for about two days. Uh, we have canes. Uh, I don't know how we end up with so many of them, but we do. We have, like, three canes. Like, So I was on crutches for a couple of days, came for a day, and now I'm just walking with the brace. Like, that was all highly advantageous. And I think there's probably a show in the stuff people don't think about because – It requires an injury or something untypical to happen, but that's what preparedness is all about, being prepared for the typical and the non-typical. So maybe we'll do that. But remember, whether it's Dr. Christopher's, any of the items in the T-SPAS catalog, or anything at all, if you want to help this show and the work that we do, just start your online shopping at tspaz.com. And another just heartfelt thank you to everybody that reached out and said you would help out. Um, I, I can't tell you how much it means uh, to have that much support for something that's You know, again, it's just not a convenient thing to do for somebody. So uh, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, and big thanks to Nicole Sauce, who's always awesome sauce, and uh, and uh, helping make that connection for us with the person that did it. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap up. Um, I've got a song of the day for you guys today that, again, is off one of my Pandora channels. And it's the game we're playing. There's no prize in it. It's just for fun. Guess Jack's Pandora channel, who it's based on. So this week we have a channel. But it's ba I'm going to say it. It's based on a group. It's not one person. It's not one artist. It's based on a group, and you won't hear the group or any of the artists in the group this week. And I guess there's going to be only one more because we skipped Monday, right? Um, but what you're going to try to do is guess who the channel's based on. And just like I did on, on, on the first show of the week, next week I'll tell you who it was. And I'll give you a link where if you want to grab my Pandora channel, which has been a well-trained channel, uh, you can do so. So today's song of the day is Summer Breeze by Seals and Croft. Yesterday's song was Leader of the Band by Dan Fogelberg. Now, who could this, who could this Pandora channel be based on? I, I've seen some discussion in like the uh, Telegram groups and stuff like that with people trying to guess it. It's kind of fun. Um, but who, who do you think it is? Summer Breeze today, Seals and Croft, nice chill song. I need chill music this week. I really do. Uh, and yesterday, Leader of the Band by Dan Fogelberg. See if you can guess and enjoy the song on, on the way out. Uh, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. See the curtains hanging in the window In the evening on a Friday night Little light is shining through the window Let me know everything's alright Summer breeze makes me feel fine Blowing through the jasmine in my The paper laying on the sidewalk A little music from the house next door So I walk on up to the doorstep Through the screen and across the floor Summer breeze
summer, the Desmond's in bloom. July is dressed up and playing her tune. And I come home from a hard day's work. Jasmine in my mind 